What is up, everybody? It is your host, Mr. Adam X, and you're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Bounds Collective. Uh, 30 episodes, guys. Episode 30. And it actually might be 31, because I think I had two episode 28s. But if you know anything about me, that makes sense. So episode 30, I have a huge guest, uh, Steve Serio. He is a wheelchair basketball superstar, two-time Olympic gold medalist, one-time bronze, one-time fourth place. We talk about that. We talk about Paralympic sports, why they don't get as much love as, you know, able-bodied sports. Steve was fantastic. I admit my ignorance to the sport, and that's why I want to talk about these things. Um, so we, we tackle that. It was, it was a really fun conversation and Steve was amazing to just chat with and open my eyes to things. And I hate saying, we, I don't know the right way to talk it. So I was nervous to do it. Um, able body, non-able body, because Steve is, is technically disabled, but would kick my ass in anything. Um, so it's a weird term, and it was really fun to talk to Steve about it and how he felt and this year with the Olympics and how things were changing and how we're just shining light on all these sports and these athletes from sit skiers to wheelchair basketball to sit volleyball to wheelchair MX. I mean, it's, it's a growing sport, and it's amazing that we have these facilities happening or yeah facilities that allow people like steve to get into a a sport at a young age and drastically change his life so steve thank you for the conversation uh thank you for accepting my ignorance and allowing me to learn and grow with you i loved this episode i think it's important i think people should care about this because they're people and we care about people and they're fucking badasses. So let me just say that. Uh, but, but here it is. Uh, episode 30 with Steve Serio. Uh, how's everything going for you today? Good, man. How you doing? You know, can't complain. Still, still riding the high. I was going to say, right. You got to be riding the high. Yeah, it's been kind of a whirlwind a uh, couple of weeks since we've been back. We uh, afterwards, so uh, that was a great time. But then just doing media and doing uh, all your other obligations for over the last since we've been back. So it's been really fun, but it's, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely work. Does it just go from like, Cause you've done this before. We're just going to jump yeah. right into this. Unless yeah, 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 yeah. Talk yeah. About. But no, no, go for it. You've done this before. You've got gold medals. Um, does it taper off or like, what is like right now you just finished, you won gold in basketball and it's this giant media tour, I assume and parties and red carpet rollout and everything. And then what happens? Well, so I'll, I'll take everybody back to, to the game, right? So you kind of work your entire life, you work your entire career for this kind of one moment. And there's a part of you that 
is really excited for that one moment. But a part of you is like, wow, I can't believe all that hard work is going to come down to literally 40 minutes of, of game time. So for me personally, everybody, everybody reacts differently to when you win in a competition. And for me personally, um, it's not like, it's not excited and it's not happiness. It's relief. It's like, Oh my God, I, we climbed to the top of this mountain. Now I just kind of want to lay here and not move and not talk for like four days. Um, so you kind of mix that with the feeling of like, Hey, it's time to celebrate. Like you said, it's time for the, the media obligations for all the sponsors and all the nonprofits that have helped me along the way. Um, so it's kind of this mix of like, I, you never really get to recharge your batteries, but you're obviously excited. You're, you're kind of over the moon that we accomplished this goal. Um, but there's also a lot more work to do. So um, it's, it's kind of, you're kind of juggling a bunch of different emotions all at once. And even though this isn't the first time I've gone through this personally, um, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't in both ways, it's, it gets better in some ways and it gets harder in some ways. Um, but obviously I'm just so grateful to have had the experience and, uh, to be kind of spreading the awareness of, uh, what the Paralympics are and what we stand for. So, um, thank you for having me on Adam. Yeah, absolutely. And that's my goal of this whole podcast is to get other people's stories. Like clearly like the Paralympics doesn't get enough you know, it doesn't get enough credit. It doesn't get enough views. It doesn't get enough, you know, the Olympics roll out and the Paralympics happen after. And I don't want to offend you and I don't, but like, I want to shine light on these things, but I think it's reality. Like it doesn't, if I wasn't friends with Roy and Alana, I wouldn't follow any of it. Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, the one of the more fulfilling aspects of competing in Tokyo this year was what was that NBC aired over a thousand hours of coverage at the Paralympics. Um, I have uh, tons of videos of people watching our gold medal game on the primary NBC channel uh, at the bar or in their house. And to be honest with you, like it's something that we as Paralympians have worked our entire career for just to be seen, just to be, just to be heard, just to be able to tell our stories and to raise the awareness. So um that's one of the things I'll really remember about Tokyo is being able to come on podcasts like this and talk about just the idea that so many random people that have never seen adaptive sports got the chance to experience a gold medal win performance with us. Um, it's a feeling unlike any other. And uh, like I said, it's, it's kind of surreal just to, just to see yourself on NBC, just like a, like a real NBA athlete, right? It's like a real professional athlete. That's something that we've worked our entire careers for. But you, I mean, you are, you're a real athlete. And I think that's, how do we shine light on that? Like, obviously, you know that, and I know that, but why do you think, and maybe you have a real hot take on this, or maybe you don't, <laughs> but like, why do you think, like, you're the, co you're co captain or co-captain? Co-captain. Co-captain of Team USA Paralympic Basketball, correct? Mm hmm If that was right. I don't know. I don't know how to not be offended. Regular basketball. Yeah. yeah. Everyone would know the co-captain's name. Why doesn't, yeah. why aren't you a household name? You know what? It's, it's an absolutely great question. Um, to be honest with you, we as Paralympians, we try not to focus on the things that we don't have. It's one of the things that you are taught when you are you know living with a disability. 
it's kind of all about what's right in front of you and focusing on the positive aspects of this world. I can tell you that it's absolutely a goal that like people like me and people like Elena and Roy are constantly working towards each and every day. We need trailblazers like Elena, right? Like she's one of the most beautiful people, both inside and out. She's the one who's not only winning at the summer games, but winning at the at the uh, winter games as well and going on late night talk show hosts and, and kind of showcasing that we as Paralympians, we have epic stories to tell. We, we overcome so much about what this world is presenting us. Um, so I, I guess a long way of answering your question, I feel like all in due time, right? Like we're constantly taking steps forward to being more recognized and to having outlets to share our stories, but it's going to come a little bit at a time. I can tell you my first Paralympic Games were in Beijing in 2008, and nobody knew what the Paralympics were. NBC didn't cover us at all. Uh, luckily, we finished fourth, so I was okay with the lack of coverage because that wasn't a fun experience. But uh, I will say that uh, in 2021 now, heading into Tokyo, we're starting to feel what it's like to be recognized as an athlete first, and that's the ultimate goal for us. Rolling into the Olympics, when do you get there? Do you roll in prior to all the Olympics? Do you guys all roll in together? Do you have a separate opening ceremony? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great question. So the Olympics takes place uh, or it finishes two weeks before the Paralympics start. So one of the big jokes that we always use is that the Olympics is the nice warm up event until they bring in the athletes to kind of captivate America. But yes, we have our own opening ceremonies. We have our own Paralympics. We live in the same village as the Olympians. So cool story, I, me and my teammates, we actually stayed in Caleb Dressel's room, which is like the, you know, the badass swimmer of Team USA. So they actually wrote a really nice letter to us on the wall, just like wishing us good luck and letting us know that their, their room, their suite was a total gold medal winning suite. And it was nice after we won gold that we could kind of add to that tally uh, of just being a part of a gold medal room. But um, so, yeah, so it takes place two weeks after the Olympics and um, everything is changed and adapted to fit everybody's uh, different adaptability needs. But we play in the same venues. We, uh, we were on the same court as the able body uh, basketball teams. And it's uh, just a very similar experience as the able-bodied athletes have at the Olympics. Can you answer the cardboard bed question for me? Yeah, absolutely. It, a real thing? <laughs> it was a real thing. It was super weird. It was not comfortable. They had these like three separate mattresses on like, like little cubes that made the actual mattress. And you could kind of flip them over depending on if you wanted the bed harder or softer but it legitimately was three cushions on a cardboard box. And while you're in the moment, you're not really thinking about it because you're kind of there to do a job and everything else is a distraction, but it was not the most comfortable experience, especially um, they're like these little twin size beds. So for me, I'm like five foot five, 130 soaking wet. It was fine for me. But we have, you know, six foot six athletes on our team where like their legs were hanging off the bed and it, it wasn't the most comfortable experience I've ever had at an Olympic village. But yes, the cardboard beds were a real thing. <laughs> what was different with COVID? And I'm sure everyone's tired of talking about COVID as am I, but you've been to three different Olympics. How much different was it this year 
versus years past. Yeah, I mean, Adam, just like you said, we've all experienced the last 18 months in our own way. We've all reacted to it in our own way. And for us um, to have to be the best versions of ourselves as athletes, uh, dealing with COVID, uh, preparing for the games and during the games, uh, it was unlike any Paralympics I've been to previously, like you said. Um, so oh, testing every day, spit testing every day. Um, we kind of had to mini quarantine or mini bubble heading into the village. So while we were still on, on U.S. soil. Um, so that was an experience. The, the cool thing about it, though, was it in a weird way, it bonded all of us. Uh, we as a we as a group of athletes, you know, while we couldn't all be together all at once throughout the last 18 months of preparing, it allowed us to kind of connect in different ways. While uh, we didn't really do the Zoom workout sort of thing, um, we just got to know each other more as people and less as athletes. We just really wanted to make sure that we were all taken care of as as people, as husbands, as as family members first. Um, heading into the village, we didn't have any COVID scares until the end. So we actually had to go into a 36 hour quarantine leading into the gold medal game because a player from another team tested positive and we were labeled as close contact. So the last 36 hours of the games uh, were, were not the most fun for us. We were literally quarantined in our apartments. We had to be brought food. We had to be brought coffee. We weren't allowed to leave unless we were playing or training. So that kind of put a damper on the end of the experience. Um, the USOPC actually allowed us to attend closing ceremonies because one of our team members was the flag bearer. His name is Matt Scott. He's just an icon of adaptive sports and wheelchair basketball in general. So um, it was great to kind of be allowed out of our quarantine to make sure that we could support him as, as a closing flag bearer. So that was great. Um, but it definitely took away from the experience uh, as everything was coming to an end. Is there support at the Olympics? Like, mental support i mean mental mental health health is such an issue right now which is great i don't mean issue i mean it's a subject that we're talking about and is there support there are there doctors there to like like you're preparing for the biggest game of your life and now you're locked in a room for 36 hours clearly there's medical staff there to like make sure you're eating well and you're you're physically fit but is there any conscious thought of mental health and mental awareness at these games? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and like you said, mental health and mental well-being is, is at the forefront of everyone's mind because of COVID. Um, I, we actually do have a sports psychologist that's, that's assigned to our team and was working with us for months and months leading up to the games. Uh, he actually was working with a number of different teams. He was also working with the Paralympic gold medalist sit volleyball team. So he definitely had his plate full. Um, so you have like the team aspect of mental health. And then if you're struggling personally with um, some more varying degrees of mental health and mental well-being, there are trained sports psychologists, there are trained psychologists and psych psychiatrists on site that you have access to at any given moment. So while nutrition, um, while uh, strength conditioning, and obviously, like you said, the medical staff, that's always been kind of a standard part of being a Team USA athlete. It wasn't until recently that the USOPC really provided us with a lot of resources on the mental health and well-being side of things. And it's not a coincidence that, um, that one of the reasons that made us successful 
in dealing with COVID and dealing with the last 18 months was that we had that consistent mental health presence from our sports psychologist. So um, obviously uh, he was a huge part of our victory. Um, and he's still someone that I've talked to to this day. Um, the last couple of weeks have been a little bit of uh, an interesting transition for me. I'm personally, I, that will more than likely be my last Paralympic Games, and I'm transitioning to be a retired athlete, which is not something I've ever gone through. So just to be able to talk to him and for him not to kind of say, okay, we, we accomplished our goal. You want a gold medal now. I'm going to you know completely leave you. Um, he's definitely helped in transitioning me to find other forms of fulfillment and just have someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of. So I'm definitely grateful for him. Yeah, and it's great that you mentioned that because I, I think we forget about like you're at the top and now you're going to walk away possibly and that's such a battle like that is so i don't know i could i mean you'll still play you'll still be involved whether you're playing or you're announcing or hosting clearly you can speak so there's always a there's always a like a fit in that world for you but how do you where do you see it going yeah it's you know it's a question that i've uh, tried to avoid for the last 10 years of Sorry, my life. You don't have to answer that. Either. No, no, no. I, it's, it's, it's a great question. I feel like any high performance athlete there, if they're being 100% honest, they're going to tell you that this life is just kind of a placeholder to delay some of the real aspects of life and responsibility. But, um, for me personally, I would say that, uh, you know, this is my fourth games. I've been a team USA athlete for a little less than 20 years um, it's definitely time to do something else, but my entire identity and my entire fulfillment in life is wrapped up in being a team USA athlete to all of a sudden have the rug kind of taken out from under you, whether it's my choice or not to, uh, have that kind of void in life is a transition, whether you're ready for it or not, whether you have a job lined up a family or what have you, um, a big piece of you is, is gone. And I'm figuring out different ways that I can fulfill that competitive drive. Um, obviously I will still be involved with, with wheelchair basketball and adaptive sports. I, I tell people that I'll never be able to repay this game for what it's given me. Um, and it's my turn to make sure that the impact that I can have off the court is more impactful than the impact that I can have on it. So I definitely have more work to do. I have goals that I, that I continue to set for myself, but it's a transition. It's never easy and it's never, um, it's, it's never clean. So just the fact that the USOPC is continuing to provide us with these resources um, is making the transition a little bit easier. Do you think it's too soon to decide that you're done? Cause yeah. you, cause you say you're done. Like you put up 29 points and nine assists in a gold game three weeks ago, a month ago. doesn't sound like you're done. You know, um, let's just say that the last 18 months with COVID, uh, it was a, it was a battle. It was, it challenged me in different ways that I was never ready to be challenged in as a high performance athlete. We always tell people that we're very well equipped to deal with success and we're actually very well equipped to deal with failure, but we are not very well equipped to deal with uncertainty. And that's what the last 18 months during COVID has been, um, I can tell you that if I was, if I'm asked this question right now, I am officially retired. I've been advised to not necessarily say that. Um, is this your like announcement? You said, nope, nope, this is not my <laughs> announcement. Um, 
I can tell you that this will more than likely be my last Paralympic Games. Um, Paris is in 2024, even though it's only three years away. Um, it's it's time for me to devote my time and energy to something else and, and not necessarily just about Team USA. Um, but I'm still going to stay involved with the sport. Uh, there's a, a wheelchair basketball team here in New York City. The New York Knicks sponsor a wheelchair basketball team that I've played with for a number of years. I'm still going to continue to practice with them and train with them. Um, we're actually playing at halftime at one of the Knicks games leading coming up in October. Uh, so that's going to be exciting. Um, but I try not to think of it as, you know, we just accomplished this goal. I'm, I'm on the top of my game. I need to continue to play. So many athletes don't get to choose when they finish. And while um, I still think that I can play at a high level, you know, I wake up and just things hurt. You know, when you get old, it's just you lose a lot of things and things just start to hurt. And I just don't necessarily want that life anymore. It, in my twenties, it was so easy to work out and train and push yourself and to continue to party and have friends and have all these different aspects of life, you know, in your thirties that you have other priorities and it, and it's just not so easy to, to rest and recover and still be the best version of yourself as an athlete. So, um, like I said, uh, I don't want to not announcing anything, but um, I'm definitely feeling a little bit more comfortable that I don't have to push myself quite as hard. I've accomplished everything that I've wanted to accomplish in this sport and, and in this world. And it's time for me to contribute in other ways. So do you see yourself coaching? Do you see yourself being an announcer, a ref? Would you ever be a ref? So I know too many of the athletes to be able to ref. So that's out of the question. They are there. They would in no way take me seriously. And I don't think I would take myself seriously, especially with the way that I have interacted with the refs currently. Um, I don't have the patience to coach. That's one of the things that um, as an, as a player, one of the things I'm good at is kind of taking control of the game. And as a coach, it's not like you can take the ball and do something that your team is missing. So I don't think I'll have the patience to coach. Um, I do have aspirations of starting up my own nonprofit and uh, helping kids with disabilities in the New York City area just kind of find their niche. They had, there's a number of uh, adaptive sports programs around New York City, but um, no one's really connecting them and no one is going into schools, local schools on Long Island or around New York City to just make sure that everybody knows about these resources. So. Um, I definitely have aspirations of just making sure that the reach of adaptive sports reaches every single kid with a disability. We didn't really go into my, my history, my story, but I was injured when I was 11 months old and I didn't know anything about adaptive sports until I was about 15. And looking back, the only regret I have is that I didn't find wheelchair basketball earlier in my life because it's given me everything. And to think that there are kids out there that don't know about adaptive sports that, that haven't found their niche, that, that their niche um, it just kills me. And it's one of the things I uh, am looking to um, change in the future. You're born and raised in New York City, correct? Yes, sir. Do you think if you weren't born and raised there, you wouldn't have found wheelchair basketball? Because yeah. You're fortunate that you're in an area that even has it, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. To be honest, the the adaptive sports hubs um, are basically in the, all in the Midwest. And uh, I don't really know the reason for that. I think that it's just easier to say no in New York than it is to say yes in certain in certain aspects of life. 
Um, but, you know, I was grateful that there was a wheelchair basketball team that played and trained on Long Island where I grew up. And, um, you know, it, it's just a shame this was before social media. This was really before the internet. So there was no Facebook page. There was no Instagram. There was no um, influencers that could kind of point you in the right direction uh, and connect a bunch of people, no matter where you live in this in this country or this world. So the fact that I even found it through a, a physical therapist, um, I'm incredibly grateful for that. But um, there's no reason, there's no excuse why uh, someone with a disability or a kid with a disability should grow up, shouldn't grow up with the opportunity to play adaptive sports, no matter what sport that is. Yeah. So let's backtrack a bit. This is, for lack of a better term, this is the life you know. You grew up in a wheelchair, correct? Yes, sir. So that was always normal for you. I don't want to say normal. I don't want to be offensive. I don't know how no. to say that. That was how your brain, you like that was it. It wasn't, yeah. you didn't have a tragic incident at a later date. No. So I, so a little bit about my story, not to interrupt you. I was born with a benign spinal tumor that went undiagnosed for the first 11 months of my life. And during that time, the tumor became infected and inflamed and crushed my spinal cord. Uh, resulting in the incomplete paralysis of my lower extremity. So so basically, I'm just a spinal cord injury. Um, in a way, like you said, I was very fortunate because the accident happened so early in my life that it is, it's all I know. So I didn't have to go through this really painful uh, transition, both me and my loved ones, about my life completely changing. So what was your childhood like, I guess? Is yeah. My <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. So my childhood was about fitting into a world that was not built for me. I, my parents raised me like I was an able-bodied kid. I went to a public normal, a normal public school system. I had able-bodied friends. I played able-bodied sports to the best of my abilities. And, you know, whenever I couldn't do something, we would just adapt the game. My friends would adapt the game so that I could participate. Uh, I was a big baseball player growing up and I'm a huge Yankees fan. And I remember when it was my turn to step up to the plate, I would step up to the plate, I would hit the ball, and one of my friends would run down to first. And when he or she got to first, I would take their place because I couldn't transition from swinging a bat and then running. So it was just different different um, adapting to different sports in that way. Until I was about 14 years old, where the school board that I was playing for, like a normal public school system, told me that I wasn't able to play um for the school sports based off of liability and safety issues. And to be honest, it was the first time in my life that I felt disabled. Here are these people that don't know anything about me or my abilities telling me that I can't just go play with my friends. And it was, it was soul crushing. It was the first time in my life that I ever had to go through that type of hardship. But like any good soldier and teammate, I was, uh, I became the inspirational disabled figure on every team, right? On the football team, I got to speak before every game and be like, guys, I can't be out there with you. Make sure that you give it your all because I can't be out there with you. Um, I would get to run plays for the basketball team. I would keep times for the track team. I just wanted to be included. And for that year of my life, it, I just realized that I wasn't meant to sit on the sidelines. I needed to find an, a an athletic outlet for me that I can kind of release this energy. And like I said, through a physical therapist that I was seeing, um, there just so happened to be a wheelchair basketball team 10 minutes away from where I grew up and I never, that I never knew about. 
And I remember going down to practice for the first time and not knowing anything about wheelchair basketball. And I'm sure that if any of your listeners have an experience wheelchair basketball, they have some of these similar questions like, how do you do you dribble when you play? Do you play on a 10 foot hoop? Um, to be honest, I had this vision in my head about like these uh, people with disabilities playing on the, these little Fisher Price hoops that are like two feet tall and they could like slam dunk. Like I thought that's what wheelchair basketball was. But when I got down there and I remember sitting in a basketball chair for the first time, and that's a wheelchair that has those slanted wheels. Um, and I just remember pushing up and down the court and not knowing anything about the game. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was free from my disability. It was like, this is what I was meant to do my entire life. And I knew that from that day on, my life was going to be completely different. So that's the power that adaptive sports has on someone with a disability. And I'm just so grateful that I found it. Did you know immediately like this is it? So I knew immediately that I was good because I was always really fast in the chair for some reason. Um, I wasn't a basketball player growing up. So like the basketball skills of the game, I kind of had to learn. I kind of had to teach myself on the fly, but I, I knew that it was the most fun I've ever had in my entire life was when I was in that basketball chair playing basketball. So I was that prototypical kid that carried around a basketball everywhere he went because I just wanted to get the feel for it. I wanted to figure out how to dribble on different surfaces. To this day, the way that I process life is by putting on my headphones and going to shoot at a hoop. And it's not even about like training. It's just the way that it feels to shoot and to just kind of block out the rest of the world. It's it's just my my Zen place. It's it's the way that I get centered. Um, so I don't know if I was meant to do it, but it definitely is it has become who I am. What are the rules? Because there's like a dribble, but there's a carry involved in there. Yeah, too. no, it's a great question. It's a great question. So um there is traveling in wheelchair basketball. So like an able body athlete, you guys get two steps, we get two pushes. So it's like for beginners, you put the basketball on your lap, you take two pushes, and then you have to dribble. The difference is that there's no double dribbling rule. So after you put the ball on your lap, take two pushes, you dribble, then you can put the ball on your lap again, take two pushes, and then dribble. There's no carrying, there's no double dribble in wheelchair basketball. So that's the only difference. But besides that, there's still fouls. We still play five on five. We still shoot threes. Um, it's still as much of a team game as able body basketball. So, um, that's the, that's the one key difference though. What makes the chairs so much different? I mean, I know they have like crazy angles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everybody, uh, has a, a wheelchair basketball chair and I describe it as when you are going to play basketball, right? You lace up your sneakers, you lace up your basketball shoes, whether they bronze Kyrie Jordans, what have you. Um, we have a separate wheelchair that we use for wheelchair basketball. And some of the key differences are like the slanted wheels, uh, the big slanted wheels on the side that allow us to turn easier. We have wheels behind us, so we can't technically, we shouldn't be able to flip over so much. The game is so fast and so physical that it happens. Um, there's a bumper in front of our feet to obviously protect our feet because a lot of us can't feel, don't have feeling in our lower extremities. And then also we're basically tied in with these snowboarding straps that really tie us into the chair. And it's similar to just tying up your basketball sneakers. 
you want the basket, your basketball chair to respond to your every movement and your level of disability as perfectly as possible. Um, it's the same. It's, it's obviously, um, different depending on your level of injury, but you want the basketball chair to respond to you like your sneakers do. So, um, that's a little bit of the differences between an everyday chair that, um, that we use around the house or outside and versus a basketball chair. Is it regulated? Like, are there, yeah. I mean, there's gotta mm-hmm. be right. The main regulation is the height of the chair. So, um, it's basically 21 inches off the floor is the highest that you could possibly go. Now you could be, there's athletes that are like six, eight, um, that still have to play in the same height as, uh, 21, 21. Um, so that provides us with a little bit of equality. So like, you can't have like a six foot eight guy who plays in a six foot chair, right. He would just be unstoppable. He or she would just be unstoppable. So, um, that provides us with a little bit of, of, of equality, but, um, it's still, you know, people like that still tower over the game and it's not like there's any jumping going on. So like if a player like that, there's a player like that who plays for Dallas and team Columbia, um, his name is Rodney. He's six foot nine. He was a former professional basketball player. And if he gets in the lane, there's just nothing we can do. It's not like you can jump and, and grab the ball from him. You got to either foul him or just watch him take a million shots to until he, until he scores. So, um, it provides a little bit of tactical issues, but, um, it provides a little bit of equality amongst, amongst everybody. And the game is played, excuse my ignorance, but I have you, so I'm going to ask you, but the game is played the same, like it's normal basketball Mm -hmm. rules, same able body rules, just Mm -hmm. different, different tools. Yeah. So, I mean, if anybody watched uh, the able body athletes in the Olympics, it's, it's a more up and it's more transition based game. We still play it's 40 minute game four 10 minute quarters. Um, the game goes by really quickly, uh, you know, in comparison with an NBA game with all the stopping and all the commercials and all the breaks, it's not really like that in FIFA. Um, but I mean, it's, it's still, it's a lot of three pointers. It's one of the things that made us successful on team USA is that, we've adopted this kind of small ball lineup as, as the able body athletes had transitioned to more of a small ball transition shoot threes game. So is the wheelchair basketball game. So um, it's one of the reasons why we've been successful over the last couple of years is that we've adopted that game uh, a little bit better than other teams, but um, yeah, it's still five on five. It's uh, you know, if, if you see the game for the first time in person, I think the common uh, feedback that we get is the game is so much faster and so much more physical than anybody had expected. And you really can't get a sense of it until you're out there. So I encourage all your listeners to, to try and, uh, and experience a game of basketball in a wheelchair once in their life, because it really is uh, it's the same in a lot of ways, but it's also really different. Are there opportunities for that? For like, I played with team USA sled hockey because okay. Adam Page is from here. Uh, okay. He's from this area. And it's my friend's cousin. And they came and they skated. And I went in a sled and I got, I've never felt so not able bodied. Like I would, like I was at the disadvantage because they were just one, their arms, you got, your guys' arms are just huge. Like you're just so fit. Like I was yeah. gassed and I was getting like, like shoulder checked and just like skidding across the, it was like, it was sad to watch, but whole, not like I didn't respect them prior, but holy shit. Like ice hockey's easy. 
sled hockey's impossible and the fact that they can do what they can do is unbelievable and i can't imagine that's any different for basketball yeah i mean listen like any able-bodied athlete uh, as they've progressed in, in playing basketball you're always taught to shoot with your legs shoot with your lower body when that's completely taken away yeah you're not gonna respond to the game the same way as you did. So there's a lot of air balls that people shoot, uh, obviously moving the chair and figuring out how to dribble and figuring out how to shoot and stop the chair is um, it's just a different, just a different structure that people aren't used to. One of the things that we as athletes, we love to put able bodies in basketball chairs. And one of the funny things about it is that like when you're moving a, a basketball chair, and you're ready to catch a ball, both hands come off the wheelchair and like they go up to catch the ball, but they're not used to the idea that the wheelchair is still moving. Like you have to like physically stop the chair first before you catch it. And that's just not something that they're used to, right? Like usually arms and legs are separate. Um, so, I, you know, I think that it's definitely something that I encourage a bunch of able bodies, especially able body athletes to just experience just to kind of take a moment and see what it's like in our shoes. Um, but also like the idea that we just want to be treated as, as, as athletes is going to be forwarded by people experiencing what it's like to be an adaptive sport athlete. Um, so I, I, you know, there's definitely experiences and opportunities for people to try adaptive sports. They have these things called Paralympic experiences where you can try and play sit volleyball or wheelchair basketball or quad rugby um, a bunch of nonprofits around the country uh, host these experiences, especially with the USOPC. So there are opportunities. Um, and to be honest, wheelchair basketball is one of the most prolific adaptive sports in the U.S. So odds are there's going to be a wheelchair basketball team that's close to where your listeners are. And obviously, if you just go down and say that you want to experience it, they'd be more than welcome to uh, to accommodate you. I think... I think people are just, and maybe I'm speaking for people, but that's my job. I think they're, <laughs> and maybe I'm speaking for myself, but they're afraid to offend. Sure. Right. Like I want to, I want to try it, but I don't want to offend anybody. Like, I don't want to mm -hmm. be like the able body who like hops in a wheelchair and like offends somebody. Right. I don't know if that's a true thing or not, but that's how I could feel had I not hung out with all these athletes who were way more like than I'll ever be and didn't yeah. have use of half their body that made that for lack of a better term, normalized it for me. Like, Holy shit. These guys are guys and girls are way more athletic than I'll ever be. And I have a huge advantage if we want to say that. So mm -hmm. that helped normalize it to be like, Oh, they're just me. They're competitive. Mm -hmm. They're pissed off. They're mad. They're happy. It's a sport and it's not, just because you don't have use of your lower half doesn't mean you're not angry or mad or athletic and like in that game, it's not, it's a totally different world, but I think you saying that, and I guess my ramble is saying that we able bodies quotes unquote, get nervous to like approach somebody and be like, I want to try this. Yeah. And, but like, think about the progression that you just went through in that story. You were apprehensive about it. And then you, you knew someone and you tried it. Not only 
as an, as an adaptive sport athlete that I love to hear that because you are getting to experience what it's like in our world, even if it's just for a little bit, it's not about offending us for like, Oh my God, this able-bodied athlete is trying to limit himself and, and, and limit his hockey skills by being in a sled. No, it's like, you're trying to, to connect with me in a way that I completely understand. So I absolutely love that. And then after your experience, not only did it normalize it for you, but you appreciated the things that we as athletes are going through. And as Paralympic athletes or any adaptive sport athlete, the goal is to just be looked at as an athlete first, not necessarily that like I'm a wheelchair basketball player. I just want to be known as a hooper. I just want to be known as a basketball player. Like I'm a great shooter. Steph's a great shooter. Yes. Steph is probably a little bit of a better shooter than I am. But I feel like if we got into a gym, I could kind of hold my own a little bit. Um, and that's that's the ultimate goal, right? Like to normalize adaptive sports is to be looked at um, as an athlete first and not just an adaptive sports athlete. Yes, we have to do things a little bit differently, but the game is still the same. The goal is to put the ball in the hoop more than the other team. So um, to be looked at as an athlete first, I absolutely love your progression there that you got to the point where all adaptive sports athletes are trying to get their friends and family to get to. Um, and if we can uh, kind of acclimate just, you know, one other person to be, to look at us as athletes, um, that's, that's a great, that's a great ending to that story in my opinion. How do we think we continue to do that? Just shine light on it and be sports covering it. Toyota giving you cars. Like, how do we, but how do we, how do we get, that's my number one. When people get cars or they win, they always win. But I mean, Toyota is a huge sponsor of Paralympic sports, right? Like that's, I think most people know that. That has to help just shining light on it. Just. Yeah. So I've worked with um, a number of sponsors and in full disclosure, I am a team Toyota athlete along with Elena. So um, yes, getting a car, it doesn't really have a whole lot to do with uh, our sports, but it is freaking cool. I'm going to just say that right now. Um, but I've worked with a number of sponsors and Toyota is the first sponsor I've ever interacted with that has treated the Olympics and Paralympic athletes in total equality from day one. And, the, you know, you asked at the beginning, like, what do we do to kind of normalize it and, and look at adaptive sports athletes as athletes first? It's a number of different things. It's got to be recognized by the sponsors, first and foremost, that we are athletes first. It has to be looked at from NBC, like we deserve the same amount of coverage as our Olympic level counterparts. It's going to take us as from adaptive sports athletes continuing to spread the word and showcase the impact that it's had, but also showcase our abilities. Like nobody wants to watch people play basketball that suck at basketball. Like <laughs> we need, we need to be able to play the game at a high enough level to not only entertain, but to inspire. And that's, you know, what, what are we doing here if we're not trying to play the game at the highest possible level? So it, it needs to come from a variety of different aspects of life but I can tell you that in my journey as a Team USA athlete, not only has the game progressed in a more entertainment, uh, high-level skill way, the sponsors have obviously stepped up to the plate. NBC has stepped up to the plate. The USOPC is finally paying the Paralympians the same uh, Operation Gold money, so it's the same 
medal award money as our Olympic level counterparts. It's the first time in history that we got the same amount as our Olympic counterparts for winning a gold medal. Um, so we're progressing in so many different ways, but the job is not done. And coming on shows like this, just to spread the awareness, um, it's going to have a huge impact, maybe not on me because I'm semi-retired, I guess, but it's going to have such a huge impact on the next generation of adaptive sports athletes that can stand on our shoulders. And I use that word stand intent, you know, intentionally because, um, that's the point of an aging athlete is to make sure that the next generation has more opportunities than I had coming up. I like that you say aging athlete. You're in your thirties. Like, yeah, but I'm in my mid thirties, homie. Like, same, yeah, dude, I'm, same. I feel, I feel like I'm like 108 in athlete years. So, <laughs> so what's, what is next for you? Do you know, I know you do some motivational speaking, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, is there a tour involved? Is there a book involved? Like, where do you, where do you see yourself in five years? That's a terrifying question. I'd never want anyone to ask me that, but I'm so glad, like I'm not wearing a heart rate monitor because my heart rate is at like 190 right now. Just the fact that you asked that question. But is there um, a plan? And there doesn't have to be a plan, but you know, obviously there's some thought and maybe you don't want to say anything. It's all soon. You're coming fresh off an, a, you know, an Olympic gold medal, but like, obviously spread awareness is a huge goal and that's a huge part of your life. But like, will you try new sports? Like, do you, have you gone surfing? Have you gone, have you done the sit ski? Have, does that excite you? Does that things that you probably, and maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, couldn't do because you were, you were training for, you know, the U S basketball team. Yeah. I mean, you just took the words right out of my mouth. So um, there, obviously I'm going to continue to work with my sponsors and, uh, continue to spread the, spread the word, right. That's something that I'm incredibly passionate about. I work with a number of nonprofits. Um, I'm headed down to San Diego to work, uh, directly with the challenge athletes foundation. They're a nonprofit that provides sporting equipment to kids with disabilities through a variety of different grants. So I'm going down to help them fundraise and speak at one of their galas, um, Obviously, I'm going to continue to work with Toyota and Nike for as long as they will have me. Um, and also, there's a, a local university at Queens College here that is starting up a program that I'm really excited to just kind of get my hands on and, and help and contribute in any way I can. For me personally, um, one of the things I've never been able to try is monoskiing, sit skiing, because I was told that I'm not, number one, not allowed to. And number two, if I ever sit Satsuki while I was training for basketball, I was just an idiot because one wrong turn and your entire career are, is over. So one of the athletic things, um, I'm excited for the fall. I'm excited for the winter because there's a bunch of slopes up here that have an adaptive sports program and I'm pumped to try it, right? Like I see everything that Elena is doing and how badass it is. Um, I, I'm not a winter sport athlete, but I'm excited to kind of learn something brand new and kind of feel that adrenaline rush again from uh, maybe not competing in a sport, but just doing something that uh, I've never done before. Um, it's, it's, it's on one hand, it's really exciting to not have a plan in front of you because it felt like for the last 20 years of my life, I've been working towards a, a small number of goals that I've accomplished. But on the other hand, I still want to make sure that I'm challenging myself and um, challenging myself athletically. And one of the reasons, one of the things that I'm going to do that is I'm going to try monoskiing for the first time. 
that's wild that you've never gone. Yeah. Listen, I hear it from Elena. I get it. Um, it's time for me to try. Um, honestly, I've just been, I've been petrified of getting hurt, man. Like, you know, like your body is in such a compromised position on the sled and you have your skis next to you that like, seriously, if, if a shoulder goes, like, it's not just my basketball basketball career that's over. It's like my entire life, my mobility, my, my independence is over. So I just been afraid to kind of get out there, get out on the slope and, and try to crank it up a little bit. But, um, Hey, now if I get hurt, I'm, I'm cool. I, you know, I have two gold medals. Like we're done with that. So and a bronze, right? That's not and bronze. a bronze from London, That's yeah, and a fourth place finish, and a fourth place finish in Beijing. So, any of your listeners that are future Olympians or Paralympians, I highly recommend not going to an Olympic or Paralympic games and finishing fourth. That that sucked. That I, that was not a fun. That was not a fun day. But it's funny, and I'm glad you said it because it's something we don't think about. You've sacrificed your entire life for those medals. And you didn't say that exactly, but like you never skied something you sound sounds like you really want to do because of wheelchair basketball, because you've dedicated literally your entire life to that. When you are a Paralympic or an Olympic level athlete, it's not just a goal. It's a lifestyle that you live. Every single thing that you eat, every single minute that you train, um, every single decision that you make to maybe not go to that wedding or not go to that birthday party, it all contributes to your journey. And I'm not saying that every Olympic or Paralympic athlete never has a drink or never has a good time. Um, it's just that every decision that you make, you're thinking about how is this going to impact my rest and recovery? How is this going to impact my training? How is this going to impact the goal that I've set for myself and the team that I'm a part of? Um, so it's, it, it is, a, a it is a sacrifice that you have to be willing to make. And there's a number of sacrifices for me, like you said, to not kind of follow, I don't know if it's a passion, but it's definitely a want. It's definitely intriguing to kind of be out there and, and, uh, to be, to be able to, 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 I, I don't, honestly don't know how it works to be able to like ski on a sled um, on like a one single sled, it just, I'm, I'm excited to try it, but yeah, it's not something that I've ever been able to, to try because of the goals that I've, I've laid out for myself. Did you have opportunities to do it when you were younger? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, one of my uh, best friends who I, who actually got me involved with wheelchair basketball, he was a key figure in starting the program out in Vail, Colorado. And he just moved back to the East coast with his family a couple of years ago. And he's been dying to get me on the slopes every single season. And it's just like, dude, I, you know, I, I can't do it. Like, seriously, like the risks don't, the risk outweigh the rewards of this experience. But now, like I literally just texted him last week, like it's time. Like I don't have to put basketball as my first, second and third priority in life. Like whatever weekend that you're going up there, tell me and I am clearing my schedule and we're doing this. So it's, you know, like I said, it's the beginning of, of a new journey. It's an exciting one. I don't really know what's next, but um, the feeling that I got from just being like, yes, let's just do this. Um, it's definitely a cool one. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I mean, as simple as that, like it's, it sounds like you're slowly starting to close, like end a chapter 
but they really excited to like start a new one. And I hope you post and like videotape you going because there's going to be crashes and a ton of failure and it'll be like, I'm sure extremely frustrating, but amazing for you to like be a beginner again. Yeah. I mean, everybody thinks that I'm this like kind of badass athlete. I am nowhere near as badass as Elena. So like the first weekend you're going to see like videos of me on like the bunny hill, like the, for like the entire three days. Like I don't, I don't expect to go down any major, any major slope the first time I do it just because I'm petrified. But um, like you said, it, you don't get a chance to be a beginner um, very often in, in the line of work that I was doing. So I'm definitely looking forward to it. That's amazing. How many more, how long does the media, the media to wrap up a little bit, but like mm -hmm. you won your gold. We talked about it a little bit. How long does that high last? Yeah, it's, uh, to be honest with you, there's a, there's a part of me that wants to say that it, that it stays with you forever. Like you're always going to be a gold medalist and to be a two-time gold medalist. Um, let's just say that I, I never in my dreams thought that I would, that I would have be saying that one day, um, you know, the media obligations are going to last as long as they have to. And to be honest, um, like I said, it's definitely a grind. It's an exciting grind. And to be able to share my story um, with so many amazing people and with all your listeners and hopefully someone's listening that this will be impactful for them. Um, it's uh, honestly, it's, it's an honor as an athlete. This is the point that you want to get to. This is, this is why we put in all this work. Um, you know, to me, I, I'm definitely going to take a step back from basketball just because it's time for me to decompress and find the love for the game again. Um, like I said, it's been almost 20 years without a break. If you count COVID as a break, I mean, I personally don't, um, there's, you know, there's only so many times I can plank in my living room in my tiny New York city apartment. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to that, to that next aspect of, of my journey. And, um, you know, there's a part of me that, that is, it's, it's never, the shine is never going to wear off that gold medal, those, those gold medals. Let's just say that they're always going to, they're always going to be the, the color that I've worked my entire life for. That's amazing. Uh, Steve, where can people follow you? Really just where can people follow you? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I'm on Facebook or Instagram and Instagram. Uh, my handle is Steve Serio 11. I'm not on Twitter because I don't think that people really care about what I have to say. And it's too toxic for, for me anyway. Um, but uh, please follow me on, on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Um, I, I love meeting people, especially people who are passionate about the Paralympic movement and adaptive sports. So please don't hesitate to reach out. And Adam, I just want to say, man, thanks for having me, man. This was really fun. Thank you for taking the time and thank you for your patience for my ignorance and just this is what I wanted though. I wanted to have a conversation. So thank you for just having a normal conversation and just opening my eyes, opening my listeners' eyes to just, you know, wheelchair basketball. Cause I don't know anything about it. I didn't know anything about I looked it up, but like having a conversation with you, it just I hate to say normalizes it, but just oh yeah, it's just basketball. It's just way fucking harder. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah man i listen i really appreciate uh, the journey that that you've been on um the the balls that it takes to bring on some something that you're not really familiar with but um again thanks for having me man it was really fun absolutely man
Thanks. Yeah. So that was episode 30 of the Pursuit Podcast with your host, Mr. Adam X and Steve Serio. Steve, thank you again. That was amazing. That was fantastic. I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the time. And that's my goal for this podcast is to have these conversations and shine light on these athletes who who slay, who absolutely crush. Um, and Steve is that. I mean, Steve put up 30 points and nine rebounds, I think, in the in the gold medal game. Don't quote me on those stats, but if that's not, I mean, he's an athlete. He's beyond an athlete. He's a super athlete. He is an Olympic athlete. And I think we need to start looking at them as Olympic athletes and as superior athletes and treating them like that. So I enjoyed the conversation. I thank Steve again. As always, please like, share, subscribe. Uh, tell us what you think about these episodes because I want to do more of them. Um, obviously, we do pro skiers and we do pro mountain bikers, but I think it's fun to bring in other athletes like a like a Steve, a wheelchair, you know, Paralympic athlete to share his story and, you know, give him a platform. That's what I want to do. So I hope you guys dig it. Please let me know. Slide into my DMs at Mr. Adam X. Follow at Out of Podcast. Follow Steve uh, at his Instagram handle, which I will link below. Leave a five-star review. Have a fucking great day. Great tomorrow. Great next day. Take care of yourselves, and um, I'll see you tomorrow.